Well, the title of my message this morning is Pentecost, the day the church was born. The day that the church was born. It's birthday, if you would. You know, i got to confess a few things about birthdays. I really haven't gotten too excited about birthdays, especially my own. It's like, it's just another day. I've had an awful lot of them. We don't need to celebrate. We don't need to do anything. And, of course, my wife straightens me out, at least in some regards, about birthdays, especially for those of us that have children and young people. Birthdays, I think I have not thought of them the way I should on a regular basis. If you think about a birthday, you need to realize and remind yourself that it was a momentous occasion. When someone is born, we are, we are seeing the revealing of God's creation on that day that a child is born, the day I was born, the day you were born. And we know that God doesn't do anything by accident. So each one of us that have been born and have a birthday, it should be a celebration of part of God's plan. He has a purpose and a plan and a destiny for every one of us. So really, if I'm thinking of birthdays, what I need to think about is is how thankful that I am that God has given me life, reflect on the way he may have worked in our lives throughout our life, and just give him thanks, praise, and honor, and glory. For a Christian, that's what a birthday should probably contain. Now, I realize for our kids and our children, not everybody's going to think that way. For some of us, it's just a great day to celebrate them, get a few presents, have some birthday cake, and there is nothing wrong with any of those things. Celebrating and sharing the love that we have for family members. But I do believe it's a time to reflect and to recognize that every single one of us are part of God's plan from eternity and for eternity. Now, granted, it may not be a humongous part of his plan, but nonetheless, it's significant because everything God does is significant. And his timing is always significant. And today on the church calendar, it's Pentecost. And Pentecost, the birth of the church, should be no different. It should be a time that we can reflect on what happened at Pentecost. What is Pentecost all about? Uh, Most of us know at least some of the story that the Holy Spirit was sent. Jesus had promised us that he would ascend to the Father and that he would send the Helper, the promise, the Holy Spirit to be with us, that we would never be alone. And as we continually remind ourselves, God has a purpose for everything and that his timing is always perfect. What was God's primary purpose for sending the Holy Spirit? Was there and what is the significance of that particular day that the Holy Spirit was sent? The time he chooses is important. And I believe with the sending of the Holy Spirit, it is truly important. If you remind yourself and you think about it, Acts chapter 2 is really a momentous section of Scripture. The event that's described there has changed history and continues to change history and impact history. So this morning, as I'm going to share, I have kind of a threefold goal, if you would. One, just to remind us of the significance of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
also to cause us to at least think about the timing of the Holy Spirit's coming. And then I'm going to spend a little bit of time, and I'm not going to go into great detail or depth on this, but I want us to understand the foreshadowing of God's plan of redemption in the feasts of the Jewish faith that we read about in the Old Testament. You might want to even write down right now Leviticus chapter 23. I'm not going to be going there and reading from there, but much of this information comes from there. And you might want to study it in a little bit greater detail as we go forth. So I want to start this morning by having us read Acts chapter 2, just the first four verses. Starting in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Uh, Truly not like us today. But they were gathered together in one place. And suddenly... And I've been trying to picture this in my mind this week as I've been preparing. What they were doing. They were together. Was it just a typical another day of waiting for what God had said or what Jesus had promised? But then suddenly everything changed. The sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The sound of a violent wind. Verse 3, it continues. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. By now, the startling sound that came, and all of a sudden they can look at one another and they see what looks like tongues of fire over each one of their heads. And then they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We're going to be coming back to these verses a little bit as we go through. But I want you to just, if you can't even imagine in your mind, Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem till the promise came. They'd been waiting 10 days. They had no idea how long they would really wait. And then everything changes. Everything changes. I think the significance of the events of the day of Pentecost in a lot of places, are, are really understated. Uh, they may be downplayed even to a degree because there's some controversial theological discussions that take place about especially the speaking in other languages, other tongues. I'm really not concerned about any of that today. I just want us to focus on the Holy Spirit's coming with power as we look at this and look at these verses. And we want to try to understand, and I, I think probably this would be my greatest hope, is we, we see the significance of Pentecost and God's playing out of his plan of redemption of mankind. You may remember, if you've listened to some of my teaching, that God had a plan of redemption from eternity past. And we actually are seeing it played out. And we are somewhere in the middle of that plan. And I believe the day of Pentecost is a critical part of that plan of redemption that God implemented. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself primarily through the prophets. The prophets would speak the word of God and they would reveal the truths of God. They would also reveal more and more of his character as they prophesied the words that God had given them. 
And even in the midst of all their prophesying, you can see them giving out information, hints, if you would, about the redemptive plan of God for mankind. Now, in the New Testament, it accelerates, and it becomes so much more obvious than trying to search through the old prophets in the Old Testament. We see, first of all, the incarnation. God's plan included him coming to earth in the form of his son, Jesus, taking on flesh, walking amongst us, living amongst us, experiencing temptation like all of us experience. God in the flesh, a key part, obviously, of the redemption plan of God. And then we see the sacrifice, the sacrificial death of Jesus, the crucifixion. Jesus died to pay for our sins. He paid the price of our sins, part of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Then we see, just three days later, the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, the defeat of sin, the defeat of death, the power of sin and death was broken. Jesus overcame sin and death. He was raised again from the dead. And it's also evidence to us that the sacrifice of Jesus, the sinless Son of God, that the sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient in the Father's eyes to pay the price for the forgiveness of our sins. In the New Testament, the plan gets much clearer, his plan of redemption. The incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we may not even think of the ascension the same way, but the ascension of Jesus is also a part of the redemptive plan of God. Jesus is receiving his reward from the Father as he ascends to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. Recognizing that the plan or the the need of a sacrifice, justification, had been finished. The job was done. But the redemptive plan of man goes on. And then we come to Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming to earth, God again returning to earth, this time in a different form. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. He walked among us, and the Holy Spirit came to not only continue to reveal the Father to us, but to live in us and to comfort us, teach us, all of these things, and to empower us as Christians. The day of Pentecost. The day that the church was born. Think about this for a minute. God established something on the day of Pentecost that had never existed before. It had never existed in the Old Testament. Oh, God had a people he had chosen at his own desires the Jewish people, to be his people. But the church had never existed up till this time. It had never been seen. It had been preached about in the Gospels. Jesus himself in Matthew 16, in talking to Peter, said, I will build my church. So Jesus even gave us a little bit of instruction that he was going to build something that had never been before, the church. And then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. The church is born. 
we get our first glimpse of the bride of Christ, the bride of Jesus. We get to, to experience and begin to understand when he starts calling us as his followers, things like children of God, that we are the friends of Jesus, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are the body of Christ. None of this had ever existed before the day of Pentecost. We're not one nation. He didn't create a new nation. What he created was one new man. We are all united, Jew or Gentile, in Jesus Christ. Something that we need to be reminded of, especially even in these days when there is such division, such strife, such prejudices. Jesus came to establish his church, create one new man, Jew and Gentile, called from every single nation. So that brings us to Pentecost. Jesus had been on earth after his resurrection for 40 days. He told the disciples to go and wait for him in Jerusalem. And now it's been 10 days. If you remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this word, these words were written or given in this instruction to the disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm going to just glance back for a moment in Acts chapter 1 and the jump we take into Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, The disciples are waiting for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit arrives. In Acts chapter 1, we see that the disciples were being equipped. If you recall in Acts chapter 1, it says that Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples, teaching them, instructing them, telling about the things of the kingdom of God. And then he said to wait. So he spent some time. The disciples had been equipped. They had been trained. But in chapter 2, we see they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, the believers were being held back. And now in Acts chapter 2, he says, go. And he says, you will receive power. You will receive power, power to accomplish your mission when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The promise was given. And the Holy Spirit now comes. So I want to go back again now to Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And I just want to read this again, verses 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. A sound like. A sound like. Notice it's not a blowing wind. There wasn't a gust of wind or a breath of air that moved through the windows of the house. It was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. And if you look at the, the meaning of these words, you get the idea that it, it, was, it was like, you know, they're sitting there and all of a sudden, boom! Here comes this sound. It can be translated just sound. It could be translated 
even as a word explosion that shows up. A roar, like as of an animal. So this sound caught their attention, to say the least. And it came suddenly. The word Pentecost is a Greek word. It wasn't a Hebrew word. They, they called this day something else, Shabbat. But it's Pentecost. And the word itself simply means the 50th, 50th part of something or the 50th thing in order. And here it simply means 50 days. 50 days. The arrival of the Holy Spirit 50 days after something. After the Passover, after the crucifixion of Christ. And I want us to see the significance in the foreshadowing that the feasts. Now, if you're like me, Leviticus isn't one of those books you instantly open your Bible to to read and study. But in Leviticus chapter 23, it kind of lays out for us some of the important feast days for the Jewish people. And God didn't just randomly come up with some ideas and some names for these days. And they're not just for us to look back and say, wow, that was interesting in history. If we look at them looking backwards from where we are now and see what Jesus has done and accomplished, we see clearly the foreshadowing of God's plan of redemption in these feast days. So Leviticus 23, as I said, just write it down. You can turn there if you want. I'm not going to be reading it. But I want you to know that you can read about these feast days. I'm not going to go into super great depth on these. I'm not going to talk about all of the different sacrifices that they might offer on any of these days. I'm just going to give a real big overview of the feast days. First one, Passover. You might remember the story of the 10th plague of Egypt when the firstborn were all going to be killed and the people were told to sacrifice a lamb, put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of the house, and when the angel of death came, their house would be passed over. The Passover. They were to remember what Jesus done as he brought them out of Exodus and protected them. And Jesus and his disciples were eating that last supper. It was the Passover meal. And while they're eating the Passover, the day the rest of Israel was remembering the blood being put over the doorpost, our Savior Jesus was being nailed to a cross and crucified as the sacrificial lamb of Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, look at these words. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. We'll talk about this a little later, but yeast in bread, it was called leavened. And leaven represented, represents sin and decay. It says, get rid of the old yeast that may be new batch without yeast. Jesus, as you really are for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The Passover celebration of the Jewish people is a picture or foreshadowing of Jesus, our Passover lamb. A sinless, spotless sacrifice. Passover. Immediately after the Passover day, the very next day was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they were to eat unleavened bread for seven days. And again, keeping in mind, unleavened bread. Leaven represents sin and decay in the Old Testament. 
This is unleavened. A picture of, guess who? Jesus. Look what it says in John chapter 6, verse 18. I am the bread of life. Jesus is declaring, I am the bread of life. To a Jew, you would think this would click, but obviously a lot of these truths have been missed. But it was a foreshadowing of Christ. Even though we are sinners, whose people who still sin, let me put it that way, because of Jesus, he was, there was no leaven in him. There was no sin in him. We put on the righteousness of Christ, even though we continue to sin in this world. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. I am the bread of life. The third feast I want to mention is the Feast of First Fruits. The First Fruits. It was a celebration where they would take, they were instructed to go out and get some of the the first fruits of the harvest, some of the first ripened fruits of the barley that was planted or the wheat that was planted. And they were to take that first fruit and offer it as a sacrifice by giving it to the priest. They would give this sheath of of barley or grain to the priest, and he would wave it as an offering, a wave offering unto the Lord. And what they were doing in this is they were saying by faith, we are offering this first fruit with the faith that the rest of the harvest is going to come. It's going to come in, the first fruits. And it was to be made, and this is significant in the timing of things, it was supposed to be made on the first day after the Sabbath, which we could say this way, which would be more familiar to us in Scripture, on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week. Think of the crucifixion, the resurrection, the first day of the week. The first fruits. It's a picture of Christ's resurrection on that first day of the week. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is the first fruit offering. Because he was raised from the dead, we can have faith and confidence that we too one day will be raised from the dead. They offered up the first fruit of the harvest as a step of faith, an act of faith, knowing that the rest of the harvest would come. Jesus was our first fruit raised from the dead that we can have confidence and believe and have faith that we too one day will be raised from the dead. The first fruits. I hope you're beginning to see the foreshadowing of the redemptive plan of God in these feast days. We see justification for sin in Jesus' Passover. We can see a picture of the sanctification process in the unleavened bread. And we see the glorification of Jesus as he is raised from the dead. Which brings me to Pentecost. Acts 2, 1 said, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The day of Pentecost, can, as you read, it can get a little confusing at times because sometimes it's referred to as the Feast of Weeks because it took place at the end of seven weeks. And it actually took place as seventh Sabbaths passed, first day of the week. The first day of the week. We see that again. Sometimes it's called the Feast of the Harvest because they're celebrating the harvest. And sometimes it's called the Feast of First Fruits. 
It's observed on the 50th day after the Passover. Therefore called Pentecost. Seven Sabbaths or seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49. And the first day of the week after that last Sabbath is day 50. The day of Pentecost. It could be that the Holy Spirit is signifying God is showing us something else. The Jewish people celebrated it with this idea that Moses received the Mosaic Law on Mount Sinai on the 50th day after the exodus from Egypt. The scripture will say in the third month of their exodus, part of the first month, all of the second month, part of the third, 50 days. Perhaps we're getting a picture even here or a foreshadowing here of what it means for the law to no longer to be written on tablets of stone, but to be written on the hearts of men. The Pentecost, the 50th day. In Galatians 3, I want to just read this quickly. Verse 23, it says this. Before this faith came, Jesus... Faith in him, the message of grace. It says, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. In other words, the law is no longer our schoolmaster. The Holy Spirit living in us, writing the law in our hearts. A big difference. Another picture of part of God's plan of redemption. And there are at least three more feasts that we could talk about, but we're not going today because they haven't happened yet. But it gives us an idea of what's coming in the future. There's the day, the Feast of Trumpets, when we believe that the church will be raptured. There's the Day of Atonement, which will be the second coming of Christ. And there's the Feast of Tabernacles, or called the Feast of Booths when the millennium will be established. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus spoke these words. He said, I, I am, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. God moved once through Jesus, his son, to rescue all humanity from sin and death. The, son of man, the Holy Spirit came to enter our hearts as a sign, what an amazing sign that got their attention, as a sign that God's uh, people would include all, that we'd be united together, and he was giving birth to his church, the bride of Christ. On that day in Pentecost, as you read in chapter 2, the church grew. It says, by about 3,000 souls, after Peter gave a message, the new Peter, the one empowered by the Holy Spirit after the Holy Spirit had came. And the Holy Spirit's presence convicted so many people as Peter shared his message of the gospel that they were crying out at the end, How must, what, must we be do, what must we do to be saved? And he told them, repent. And it says 3,000 people, about 3,000 people. And then it says more were getting saved day after day after day. And the church is still growing. 
day after day. The mission has never changed. We are to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting right here where we're at. The message has never changed, and the ability to accomplish that mission is the Holy Spirit. And he lives and dwells in each one of us as his children. He's still providing the power that's necessary to grow and advance the kingdom of God. We need to remember, we are the church. In a sense, the day of Pentecost is part of our history. It's part of our story. It changed us for life. The worship team comes. Let's just close in prayer. Remembering, I will come back after the worship team sings this song to share some things about our regathering next week. Heavenly Father, I pray that and give you praise for the Holy Spirit that you sent to live and dwell in each one of us. God, that our lives forever changed by the Holy Spirit living in us. That you have given us a power in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The authority in the name of Jesus. That we are commanded to go forth, share the gospel message wherever we go, advancing the kingdom of God. And Father, you have equipped us And you have empowered us to carry out that mission. Father, we thank you for the plan of redemption. Thank you that Pentecost is part of my story. It's part of our history. As Christians, we are who we are because of what took place on Pentecost. We give you all the praise and glory for that. In Jesus' name.